Now it's a little bit more, well, it's always been informal, but I would like to invite questions from you lot. Um, and just open, if you have anything you want to comment on and what you've seen, and what we've been talking about, uh, please feel free to do. So, I only ask one thing is if you can put your hand up so I can see you, we can see you, and the interpreter can see you. That'd be super awesome. But um, I just, <laughs> I think I think I think the people who are eating up here feel extremely self-conscious, <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not eating, Joe. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, fine, fine. That's all right. I finished my food, so it's okay. I can eat that way. Um, It'd have to be the first. Enjoy. It's over. That point. Um. For me personally, as an artist, I just wanted to say that uh, it's a similar story to Kate in a way, but I didn't believe that I could, I was allowed to dance or anything until I was about 21. Now I'm 39 now. And I don't look it, it's all right, you can say, it's fine. Um, but. <laughs> wow, 39. <laughs> yeah. So, all, all of my life up until then, I was kind of saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. I was like, back off of can, and I will. <laughs> then I met some dancers who uh, changed my world. And the reason they changed my world is they taught me to listen from inside. And I already knew how to do that, so I was always one up on them. I was like, yeah, I know how to do that. But they introduced me to dance in a way that um, was... I don't want to say spiritual and paint the picture that I was dancing naked in fields and the rain <laughs> Although I just tried that once and it was great. So if you're in there, give it a go. Um, but it was an awakening. It was an absolute awakening for me. And to be able to move. Uh, and I, I, coming from a world of silence, you know, I take my hearing aids out last thing at night. And I put them in first thing in the morning to join your world. But my world is peaceful. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place where things are louder. Funny enough, because they're not louder up here. They're louder here. They're louder here. And that feeds into my work a lot. So therefore, my love of dance began there. Um, and it's really great to find like-minded people like Anna, who understands exactly where I'm coming from. And we work together on the Delta project. So um, we just, just finished the show next wave, which was great. Art House, they liked it. You liked it, didn't you? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, people liked it, and that's beside the point. And I, I think this journey to... I don't know why we brought silence into it. Maybe it's something I really relate to. And I think every single one of us up here tonight, and I'm sure every single one of you in this room can relate to this. It's something that exists within us, and whether we tap into it. Um, so I suppose the question I want to throw is open. So It's almost like it's a 
we understand it. We, we've embraced the fear. We've embraced the, you can't do this. You shouldn't do this. You know, we've risen against it, and we found our work. We found our art, and we're very good at what we do. And that's sort of breaking through the barriers. And all of those barriers have come from silence, I think. So I just don't know when I was tucking something here, you know. Well, we might have something to say about it. I mean, I can dominate the floor, but I don't want to do that. So. <laughs> okay. um, I know you were talking to me earlier. I remember, you were talking to me before, earlier tonight, about the fear that people have of connecting with silence and that it seems to be related to almost like a stiffness. Yeah, I, I often see the fear. I, look, I can give you an example. Say I'm talking to a hearing person who knows sign language, for instance, so we're conversing in Auslan, we're signing away, having quite a deep conversation, then out of the blue uh, someone might interject uh, using voice and, and it's like, well, hang on a sec, we were just talking. Now, for the person who interjected, they didn't hear anything, so they, without hearing anything, they assume nothing's going on. So they just interject. They fill in that space, that empty space, you know, with, with chatter. So it's like we were having a conversation. Yeah, I know it was in sign language, but it does relate to Christine's work in a sense too because sound has power. And I feel an overwhelming presence of power that sound has. I think society connects sound and power, you know, especially in spoken language you know, spoken language has a higher status than Auslan and sign language does. Sound has a higher status to silence. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about, I suppose, words have power. And so I suppose this brings me to a question of... I'm signing you now, I realise. I'm signing you, and I'm not quite sure why I'm doing that, because you can hear. I can I still can. sign, though. You can sign. I know we're talking about having our spoken word as power, and you know spoken word as your power. Um, and you spoke a little bit about that driving. Can you just... Talk more about that. About needing to speak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sure. Um, so I think for, I'm going to go out on a limb, but I think for um, LGBTQI communities, silence is a refuge. Yeah. Um, voluntary silence can be a refuge. There's imposed silence, and then there's the silence of, I'm going to keep myself safe and I'm going to choose not to speak at this moment. And... Um, so my mum's a lesbian. I grew up in the lesbian community. Um, I was told that I was a, a baby dyke when I was, I don't know, seven or eight. That wasn't Ellen Dunham or Bayer from lesbians. No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is my life, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I looked like a little baby butch and, so yeah. that, and I was in this kind of framework of very much women's space and, and that's what it was. And, um, and so I didn't have an experience of coming out and I felt really comfortable in my sexuality and, um, and in that community. And 
What's happened now is that I've learnt what it's like to come out because I've come out as trans and had some really awful things said. Um, I've lost my mother, I've lost my sister. Um, someone told me I was erasing women and that the world didn't need more men, it needed more women and good lesbians. Okay. I'm of the opinion the world needs more good <coughs> humans, just, just putting that out there. Um, but, um, you know, so I've had some really big stuff come at me yeah. from speaking and it makes me want to be quiet. Right. Um, and that quietness can, can be a gift sometimes. It's a, it's a very specific choice about safety. Um, but what I continue to do is, um, I suppose for me, the opposite to being silent is speaking. And when I use the word speaking or speak, I mean uh, a writing, um, expressing, um, feeling, putting stuff out, I guess. Um, and I and I think that telling story <coughs> or being open is is that the key way of kind of dismantling prejudice and um, ignorance around uh, minority communities yeah. um, and and lacks lack of understanding about about other people and how we are in the world. So um, I make a point of speaking a lot, and I often feel quite scared. Yeah. But I do it anyway. <laughs> so I'm not that scared of silence. Actually, I'm I, I get a bit more. Scared, but it's actually silence that's empowering you, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah you look, don't want to be. There's safety in writing for me. So when I'm yeah. writing my stories, um, people can choose to read them or not. They may never know who I am. They may never come and find me. Um, so I, you know, there is there's this kind of medium that is a very quiet, <coughs> a quiet medium. Yeah. Um, I get asked to sit on panels, and I choose to come and do that, and. Um, but yeah, it's not always great, and I do walk away crying sometimes and go, "I'm never doing that again." Yeah. It's not true that thing. People tell that story about testosterone. If you go on testosterone, you're just going to be really aggressive and not cry anymore. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> I still cry all the time. I feel ri That's ripped her. off about that. I was like, oh, "What's going on? I'm crying." So, oh, man, I'm a crier. I love to cry. I do. Fine, good for you. Yeah, it's So apparently yeah. I was going to start kicking walls and shouting, but no, I'm just still like mushed in a corner, just having little tears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I can feel that I'm making a move. Yeah, but also that makes me hot, that, you know, emotional guy thing. You know, yeah. Oh, man. Women love that. That's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's good. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it doesn't work with me, but right. never mind. <laughs> I'll keep trying. Yeah. No, I mean, like, back to the emotional thing. Yeah. I just look like um, a walrus or something. You know, like, <laughs> going like, so, and it's not as bad as everyone. This is going way off track here. Let's go back. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about art. <laughs> That's why we're all here. Let's talk about art. Um, can you? I'm really interested to know if any particular pieces of work, like you showed us this one, Could, have you got any others that you can talk about that um, really you can identify with that highlight that sort of silence who who been actually really incredible artwork. Yeah, I can. It's going to sound really kind of out there and weird, but 
Um, Mike Parr, which is P-A-R-R, um, he's got a retrospective on at the moment in Canberra. One of the first works I saw of his was when I was about 16 and it was in my, uh, like my school art book and it was him vomiting primary colours onto big wads of white cotton wool. Right. And, um, and that was, that, that got me, that really got me, I loved that. Um, and then Stellark as well, so, um, and modern primitive stuff with um, big hooks and suspensions and that kind of oh, yeah. lots of bodywork stuff yeah, is yeah. that, and so is so performance art is really my thing, and it's interesting we had Marina Abramovich up here. So yeah. the artist who's present is, uh, and I know she's embroiled under all sorts of controversy at the moment yeah. around some really racist stuff she wrote in the seventies, but she did something called Degree Zero, which um, has been kind of eclipsed by the artist who's present. Is that one the one where you were camping out bits of ice? No, this that. is one from a long time ago okay. where she sat in a gallery next to a table covered in implements. There was a gun, there was a crown of thorns, there were feathers, there's a whole range of different things and she sat and people that could come into that gallery and do whatever they wanted to her and yeah. she um, did oh, that in silence. Okay. And by the end she was so covered so in blood and someone had held a gun to her head and um, they'd taken her clothes off and um, and she did that. She did that in complete and utter silence so um, and like watched so them. So yeah. enduring society. Yeah. Flexion upon you, yeah. you know, like in silence, we're being black, black, with word black, flagellated, yeah. That's yeah. the one I can't pronounce it, but it's that one. Um, yeah, I just, 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 probably one of them why we've got her up here, you know, given the latest controversy that's been said. Does anyone know about that? Mm -hmm. I'm saying some nodding head, sort of, some, yeah. Um, well, I actually didn't know that happened when I chose this film. Um, and then I heard that it happened, so I put Robin's film on after this because I thought it was a lot more powerful to say. Um, uh, so going back a little bit for Marina, she is, yes she's controversial and she says some really awful things, um, which I'm sure she's really regretting now, um, but as an example of someone who endures what you said with those work, she has been she sort of beats herself up, really, doesn't she, so in, in silence. Mm. And that's a, that's a really strong example of what society is, does to us, which is what comes out in your work. But you find your peace in the silence, don't you? Well, I think that's what art does. I think that's what Anna's dance work does. I think that's what Kate's yep. photography and film does. It, you know, it takes that, makes it a force, and then pushes it back out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Kate. When you talk about your uh, photography, your, your visual moment there, um, can you tell us a little bit more about where that place is? Where that one is? Yeah, where, where is the place for you when you take those pictures? Depends what pictures we're talking about. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, because I guess... Sometimes I don't know what I'm doing, and then other times I do. Um, and sometimes it just sort of, I just grab the camera and click and just like, whatever. Um, I do, I use, uh, like in my personal work, I use film, like analog. Um, and I think that process, maybe it's just, I, I don't, 
overthink things, whereas when I have a digital camera, I find that I'm going back and forth and looking at the screen and then trying to do it better and then going back. So I think having that freedom and that space to just play. Do you feel like your uh, sense to the outside world, the audio world, is drives you to be more present? And it enables you to be more present That's in the work that you do, yeah. Switching off from... Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Because you I can know. have the ability to do that. Yeah. Like I, I don't... Uh, if I want to get into a space and just feel the space and move in the space and be absolutely present, I should switch off, which is yeah. easy for me to do. Yeah. And I think I've, like... I mean, I can still hear, obviously, but... Um, and so it's hard to question how much... Has my hearing impairment or my hearing loss influenced my work? I'm not sure. It could just yeah. be a coincidence. But I know that I definitely can't hear. If I'm seeing something, I can't, I'm not distracted by sound. It's just whatever I'm seeing. And so I think that definitely helps. And if I, I've always been very observant of things. And I'm, you know, I'm, whatever I'm looking at is what I'm present in. It's not, there's not a million things going on. So I think that in that sense, it helps to be in a silent world and to just be present in whatever I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Present. Present is my favourite word in, in any kind of work. It's just that. Not silence? Yeah, I love silence. <laughs> it's okay. Well, present is actually. But, um, I'm still, I'm quite aware that we're still doing a lot of talking and we should be past that point by now. But like to throw it up into the floor. We have a question. Is there a question or a comment? Okay. You can talk if you'd like to. That is okay. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't work. It's just for the video recording. All right. And for the transfer. Okay. Okay, great. Um, I'm Tash. Um, uh, a couple of things. One is, okay, one's a comment. One is, um, I was saying that I, uh, I, I, when I came here, I was very, I was very excited and then, and then I started to get very angry and frustrated and then I had to have a moment and be like, oh, okay. Because I sometimes forget. Anyway, I have a, uh, I haven't talked for like 20 minutes. My mind's bracing. Um, Oh, okay. So what I was going to say was that I think that I have a different relationship to silence um, because um, I have a background in past trauma and I dissociate a lot. And so for me, my dissociation was very much about stillness and silence. Um, and it was kind of one of those imposed silences to be safe. Um, so when I did dialectical behavior therapy last year and we did a lot of stuff around mindfulness and that was the first time I started to look at um, not having silence be a, a traumatic response, but actually be a choice um, and start to be something that I could enjoy. Um, obviously, I still struggle with that because I sit more on the dialectic of talking a lot, all the time. Um, <laughs> but in the work that I do, a few things that I've noticed recently, one is that I don't tend to talk on stage um, and people have you know asked me if I want to sing on stage and it's not that I can't but I actually am making a conscious decision not to do those things um, I 
whatever there's dialogue that I'm saying on stage, I tend to pre-record it and actually just lip sync it on stage um, because a part of that, because the last show that I did, Autobio Queen, was a big hit, guys. Um, it was a very personal story and a, a part of that choice to not actually be speaking was in recognition of what silence has meant in my life around uh, things to do with trauma and recovery. That's it. Oh, wait, no, there was a question. I don't know. Yeah, sure. Was last of us born for that? I will. <laughs> I, I, I can show. I can show. <laughs> no, that, 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 so, just clarify. I was looking at the interpreter because quite far away, and I'm short sighted as you can see. So it's like a thing. Um, did you say you have something else doing the talking for you? Sorry? Did you have something else doing the talking for you? Is that what you said? Did I had someone else doing the talking for me. Yeah. What do you mean? Well. Oh, no, I was saying I pre-recorded anything that I say. I see, I see, okay. Most of the things I say on stage I pre-record, so I don't actually speak live. Why is that? I was saying for the last show that I did, a lot of it was around personal things about my past trauma. And in those times, I did a lot of dissociation, and I would go mute, like I would kind of have selective mutism. Um, so there's actually a lot of times where knowing some kind of sign language would have been really helpful for me. Um, and I will learn. I, I know some American sign, but not Auslan. Um, but, but it's just things like, um, you know, I remember very vividly, you know, having hours or days where I couldn't move or couldn't talk or couldn't communicate, um, so yeah, so it's, so you know, those things have passed, but now it's, it's learning how to develop a different relationship with silence. Oh yeah. Um, thank you for that, Tash. Um, yeah, look, I've, I've had a similar thing in response to trauma, of feeling unable to speak, um, which is why I think I have a, a thing now about I need to speak, I need to be able to speak. Um, yeah. So I, I just think that, you know, it's fascinating. It's one of the things about trauma. It's what it does in the body. Um, it creates repetition, fragmentation. Um, there's some really interesting stuff that I think is possible in terms of art and performance and, and that, that kind of pre-recording or using silence and gaps to, um, to speak. And I think um, that that, you know, using fullness and that it... Um, yeah, we have to be careful when we're talking about silence. There's all kinds of silencing that happens in our... In yeah. our community and in our world, and um, and it's not all great. Some of it's really, really, um, you know, oppressive and and connected to um, yeah to to power. One interesting, just weird fact, which is that after both give, having giving birth to both babies, I lost the power to speak. Like I just couldn't find words. You mean after the after I'd given birth, immediately like, after, just no, no well, talking. It's painful, isn't it? It's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's insane. It's just it's insane. insane. It's just yeah, too okay. But I lost the power. I couldn't find words, but I could sign. So you could sign. Yeah, it was really interesting. Isn't so that interesting? and I do feel like um, sign is very. It's it's connecting to different neural pathways than spoken language. Um, 
or written language. And so my body could totally do that thing, but my voice was just like, no, I'm not home. So, so the body spoke. Yeah. The yeah, body yeah. spoke. That's you, did you find that stressful, not being able to speak? I, I or did the people you... I was signing to couldn't understand me. But it wasn't like you were trapped by this inability to... No, because no. you could sign. It was quite relaxing, mm. actually. I just checked it. I just, I was out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing you can express more in sign language, I think, compared to spoken word. Oh. Hi. Oh, no. Anna, um, I I'm, have been in the past a physical performer and I teach movement to performers and the, this, is, this entire evening is revelationary for me because it feels like I'm bringing my past, I was born deaf with perforated eardrums, right into my current, why, why would I have ever chosen the career I have to speak through the body? That is my basic interest. And um, I'm just, there's something, I don't know if I've got a question, but it's about the language of sensation or the, the world of being inside um, the richness of your own bodyscape without having to talk or you know, I, I like to move in silence. That is, for me, the richest place of the small dance of my being. I don't, I don't know how to... This is where I have a great deal of difficulty finding language to articulate sensation and the, um, the incredible elaborate flamboyance of my body in silence. And so trying to communicate with that with students is always a really interesting thing. Mm. And um, yeah, I've just found tonight very moving. I don't know if I have a question, mm -hmm. except Anna, was that always the case for you, even when you were really little, that you just loved the joy, the freedom of being inside? I don't know. Look, first of all, I want to say you explained it brilliantly, very, very well. And that's, that was why I started dance. I loved dance since I was a little girl. I started when I was extremely young, well, six years of age. Um, I think, looking back, I think I loved it because I felt equal with my peers. There was no language involved in it, you know, irrespective of whether you were deaf or hearing. We could dance together and we connected through movement and I felt more comfortable in, in that space. And then I think that's why I'm, I became a dancer today. I think it's, it's interesting. Dance is um, very verbal, I guess, these days. We talk a lot <coughs> about dance, you know. If you attend any dance classes, everyone's talking ad nauseum. And I often sit there and I feel left out. I can feel foolish at times. I mean, now I don't. I'm talking about past history, but I feel, I don't know, torn a bit, you know. I just, 
you know, and, and then again, with performances, there's a lot of, lot of talking as well. And so that's the reason, I guess, I loved dance in the first place. I mean, it was, it was before talk and before conversation, I guess. I think it's a universal language. Totally. You can look at the body. The body has the language. The facial expression is part of the language. Touch, understanding. Words just confuse things. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the connection with dance. For me, I can really understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of people think silence equates to nothing or absence, you know, and that's, that's not the case. I think it's full of <coughs> substance, quite the, quite the contrary. I mean, I wanted to say something too and I didn't have time when um, I was talking <laughs> earlier but I've got the floor now so here it comes. Um, I've been thinking about um, why people are so interested in silence currently, you know, and, and they have for a long time really. Um, artists like the negative space. What do you mean by the negative space? Okay, for example, oh, if I'm sculpting something, for instance, it's not, it's not what you can see in my sculpture, but it's the space that mm. surrounds the sculpture. That's what I consider the negative space. I mean, I don't know what it means. It, depending on different mediums, it might vary, whether you're a painter, whether you're a writer, whether you're a photographer. But from a dancer's perspective, the negative space is uh, full of silence. And that silence intrigues me. And that's what I like to exp explore. It's unexplored territory, you know? And there's a lot on offer from that space. But um, it's untapped, I guess it's untapped potential that um, would definitely benefit a deaf artist. I think I've definitely, I suppose, so you've learnt that from today. Is that sort of a realisation? Okay, so the realisation that there is negative space. Okay, so it's about thinking about that space. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, um, I just wanted to maybe, hello, <laughs> just wanted to maybe go back to, oh, it is on, cool, um, yeah, I want to go back to something you said, Quinn, about um, after going through um, birth the birth of your children, not your own birth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted I did, I did yeah. write my own birth, though. Oh, cool. There's a novel coming out soon that's narrated entirely from the point of view of a fetus. Anyway, that's very often. Oh, I should have done that. Um, I think it's Ian McEwen, actually, which is a bit odd. Oh, um, no. Yeah, what? <laughs> but moving, um, moving on from that tangent. Um, yeah, I wanted to, I guess... There'll probably be a question in here, but like, bear with me. Um, talk about that idea of like, you, you use the phrase checking out. 
um, you're like, oh, yeah, it was great. I checked out. Yeah. <laughs> it was such a, like, it sounded to me like you're expressing that it was a real weight off your shoulders not to have to speak. Yes. Um, and, I mean, I do other things creatively, but my bread and butter and something I spend a lot of time thinking about because I spend a lot of hours in the day doing it is um, I'm a music teacher, uh, mainly to children, teenagers, have a few adult students as well. Um, and I've also been a French tutor. Um, and so all day, every day, my bread and butter is talking to people. Um, and maybe that's kind of a, a really obvious thing to say. Um, but recently I've been thinking about like the impact that has on my, my head state, right? Because I just spent all day, every day communicating um, either through you know, musical sound or, or, or sounds in terms of words. Um, and I, I've gradually, I think, since, since maybe I was about 12, I'd say, um, when I was writing a lot, just lost my... Like, it's gradually worn away my ability to write, I think. And it's, it's like a changing gear when I get home. I can't seem to... Um, I can't seem to change gear into just silently being with myself. Um, and I, I live in a house with seven other people, so there's always someone up and around for a chat. Um, and so I ended up just gravitating to that and just doing that because that's what I know and that's what I do all day and I, I can't change gear. And that's resulted in some real, like, some real problems, I guess. Like, yeah, a real inability to get in touch with the creative self. So um, it was funny coming here tonight um, I think, I don't know whether we were allowed to speak earlier while we were eating or what was, I don't quite know the rule, but somebody, um, somebody sort of started to no, turn. I didn't know either. You didn't know either? Okay, cool, great. Well, if you don't know, then I feel like I'm off the hook here. Um, yeah, but someone sort of tried to speak to me and um, as much as like in another context, I would have really loved to speak to them. I was a bit disappointed. I was like, oh, I was just so excited to <laughs> not have to speak tonight. Like I was, yeah, that was, yeah. that was like something I was really seeking out in tonight. And, and it's something that I've got as well, you know, something I've really taken from, you know, this, this event, this space. Um, mm. But yeah, just, just really trying to pursue silence as someone who, you know, I, I don't have any um, hearing problems. I'm, I've, I'm fully hearing. I'm not sure if that's quite the, yeah right term but um yeah just I don't know the beauty of silence being expressed by people who who live it really intimately has really struck me tonight so thank you for bringing that um maybe there wasn't a question in there but yeah there was a thank you so thank you. <laughs> it sounds like you might want to find some silence to write in is that yeah, I guess. Yeah, because I just I just, just creating and yeah in whatever that, sense. No, because I was I had writer's book for about ten years and then I applied for this PhD and was like, oh, fuck, I've got to write eighty thousand words. I've never written anything longer than three thousand words. I'm <laughs> like I'm stuffed, right? And um and I'd have this real imposter syndrome and just all the angsty angst stuff. But um. And then I found this thing called Shut Up and Write, which is not um, run by anybody. It just is organised kind of organically over Twitter and Facebook usually. There's a group called Shut, and Write, Shut Up and Write Melbourne on, on Facebook if you're interested. But basically it's a technique where you sit with a group of people, generally in a cafe, and I was like, oh, pah. Because, you know... <laughs> group therapy. Oh, oh, yeah. And also, you know, writers write alone and we just are, like, tortured at our desks for eight hours a day and... But this theory is you sit with a group of people and you do three or four what are called pomodoros, apologies to the interpreter, <coughs> Italian for tomato, 
and it's based on an old Italian kitchen timer. You do 25 minutes, you don't talk to anybody, and you make new words. So writing meaning actual new words, not editing, not thinking, not interneting. And then you have a five-minute break, and then you do it three times or four times in a row. And I worked out I could write about a 1,000 words in three of those altogether. And then if I did that once a week for three years, I would have a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> and it's totally what happened. It was kind of astonishing. So I didn't have to wait for like the creative muse to hit or anything. I just had to shut up and write. So that's kind of connected to silence, I guess, and also for anyone who's like really going, gee, I wish I could write, or I'll write. I mean, I saw this. I saw a Grand Designs where this guy went, I will write once I've built my house with this yeah. studio <laughs> that looks out over this field with the tree. You know, and then he built the house and... And um, what's his name? What's the guy? I do not know. I don't what's his name? Him, Andrew? Though. What's his name? Anyway. Everybody know? Kevin. Kevin. Kevin's like, so, yeah. how's the writing going? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm just... Mm. I built a like, house. Yeah, I built a house and he's still not writing. So, yeah, if there are any people feeling just, like that. But just, interesting what you were saying. So you would go to the... Like, you kept going to a cafe with yeah, other people and doing that? Yeah, once a week in a cafe. Because that's an interesting idea that you... Like we think of the writer or the artist in a in solitude, yeah. Whereas that's the complete yeah. opposite. And even though it's silent, you're sharing yeah. that silence. It's like they're sharing the creative energy of everyone's in the same spot. Then fuck, I can't write. I need to write. I'm gonna write. Yeah. To me, that sounds so stressful. Yeah, it's so. just a, it's a just <laughs> intense peer pressure, and I get so freaked out about it that I'd actually read and prepare beforehand. It's very helpful. <laughs> You'd actually written the PhD before. <laughs> um, just to follow. All right, let's start. Oh, just still talking. I don't want to hog the mic, but I want to say something. It definitely yeah is related. Um, yeah, I mean the thing that started to get me even starting to think about writing again, or think about writing in silence and being with the self and the creative self in silence again, was actually um, buying a or no finding or maybe stealing. I don't know. I found it. I don't know who it belonged to previously. Um, a good pen and it was like the beauty of the ink coming out of this the right pen I know that sounds so wanky like there's no other word for it really <laughs> but um, just like I'm a left-hander so it would stain if I tried to write handwrite it would stain my hand if I tried to run a computer it would um, yeah it would I'd get distracted um, and just yeah like the beauty of the letters that I could create with this pen got me even starting to write like maybe I think I have like three journal entries to my name right now, but like, you know, a, an intense drive to do more because of this this particular pen, like the beautiful the beauty of that visual, which is a really odd way to get back into writing, but yeah, just... Whatever it takes. They, yeah, that, and <laughs> yeah, how it's, I don't know, just a beautiful silent dance on the page and how that, yeah, got me back into... Do you can write with both hands? Sorry? Can you write with both hands? Can I write with both hands? Yeah. No, I'm a left-hander, oh. only... And so my hand gets all stained with ink when I, yeah, I'm, yeah, it's very limiting. Anyway, um, I'm going to stop hogging the mic. <laughs> Thank you. No, 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 great. Thank you. Thank you. We, we have one more question. Who's going to grab that question? Hands up high. There we go. There we go. Awesome. I was just wondering if you value communicating the context of your life in your artwork to your audience? if that makes sense. Like, do you think that it's worth um, giving the context to your audience about your rich 
um, relationship in silence from whether that's from deafness or just what you've developed. By context, do you mean the the I guess what's behind the artwork? Like yeah, like when an audience views an artwork, their viewing of that artwork can change if they know a different context behind how that art was made. So I was just wondering if you communicate your deafness or if you'd like to keep it back or if there's anything that, like if you have an opinion on that or it doesn't come up in your art. Do, do you mean, does it matter if we're deaf or not? No, I don't think it matters if you're deaf or not. I just wonder if you'd like to give your audience the context of being deaf when you create <coughs> the artwork to whether that changes their view or their perception on the artwork. I, I mean, I think for my, this most recent project, I don't think the context matters. I think um, the images, the way that I showed the images, I had the, like a quote with each subject. So yeah. that gave it context. I don't think my story, I didn't want it to be about my story. I just ended up having to tell people why I did it because people are like, what, what's your interest in deafness? I'm like, well. <laughs> so in that sense, the work speaks for itself, but it needed the, I guess, to me, the, what makes the images powerful is that you get just a quote from each subject. So it's not giving that much context, but it's enough meaning to, to get the viewer to think about it. So I think, yeah, I don't want to give all the answers, but at least some enough to make people keep questioning. Anna speaking. Uh, there are some dance projects that I'm involved in are about that are about the deaf experience. Um, like when I was in um, Under My Skin with Joe, uh, with Joe and um, Linda, um, Lena, beg my pardon. Um, yeah, so that was about deaf culture. So that was explored there. But with Cage, I'm not sure if you guys in the audience are all across Cage and their work. Do you know any, any of Cage's work time? Um, well, I worked with them, I'm currently working with them on a project at the moment. There's four of us and there's a drummer and it's about the sound and silence. But um, the project has absolutely nothing to do with being deaf and so I like that. It's, um, it's refreshing for me, you know. It's not about death, you know. It's boring for me. Really, I'm bored about <laughs> it, you know. It's, there's nothing hooray, hooray about being deaf. We're pretty normal. For me, it's, I'm normal. So with this project, I like the fact that the audience isn't even across the fact that I'm deaf. And then when they do find out, they're like, wow. And it changes their thinking. And I like it when that, when that actually happens. So, uh, um... But the Delta Project, for example, which is the company of deaf and hearing dancers that Anna and I co-founded with Art Access Victoria, um, we, we both are deaf. We both are profoundly deaf. We both have different views on the world, because I'm oral. I grew up oral and I still continue to be oral. And Anna um, is Auslan native. Both, right? Yeah. 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 Um, okay, so Anna chooses not to wear hearing aids most of the time, and I do. Um, 
so we've got two different perspectives now. That two different perspectives of creating work, of being in the space and uh, building up the work, but the work itself, if not with the, this is the human world we're in. Although we have approached that subject, now we're going beyond that, and it gets deeper. It becomes the, the fact that we are there, the fact that we don't lose our ears. That is informing the content of the work. That is informing the movement, that is informing the relationships in the space, that inform the whole relationship with the cars and everything, which then impacts upon the work. But the work itself is not about being there. Uh, um, sometimes, one of the things I do is deliver access training, and um, we, show, we show the Delta Project clip. And uh, can you tell whether the dancer is deaf or hearing? Yeah. And when they say no, it's like, right, job done. That's what the content is about for us. It's not that. It's about what work can come from our world. That place of silence, that thing of being more present, that thing of relationships. And, you know, um, I think it's fairly unique. Yeah, and it can inform the work. And I think everybody can do the same thing. Let's just go to learn which these are. Or find that place of silence. You know, which is what all of this, you know, Quinn's work has come from your place of silence and Kate's work has come from a place of silence and that's what tonight is about. Switching off the noise and not being afraid to do that, you know. Uh, and seeing what magic can do to can come from that or what, what questions or if not magic and if not beauty it might be ugly but it doesn't matter if sterling is brushing or through the wire in this place. I suppose that's what's driven this night. And uh, I'm getting a sense from over here, like, wrap it up, wrap it up, Joe. So I'm just going to do that now. <laughs> oh. Before we do that, we would like to give um, a create. No, actually, do we want to do that first? Or do we want to do the other thing first? Uh, okay. Let's do this first. So thinking about it, Quinn is a poet, as we know, um, and is very genuinely happy to share his, an extract of his work tonight. This is the conclusion. So. Just asking for water. Water. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Water. But how, how about before we do that, yeah. let's just quickly go around and just recap. Uh, everybody's got something on. Isn't that great? So we're going to plug it right now. <laughs> Anna, that's a show in the Melbourne Friends. Keep your eye out for that. Distraction Society. Uh, what are the dates, Anna? Uh, it's the 16th to the 18th of September. Right. Check it out. Book your ticket. It's going to sell out. I've got mine. Just saying. <laughs> Queen's got a book out. Come, you're all welcome. What's the title of the book? It's called, Where did we get it from? It's called All the Beginnings, A Queer Autobiography of the Body, and you can get it at Readings in Carlton or Hares and Hyenas on Johnson Street. Oh, could you get back again? Where can you get it from? Where do you buy it? Readings in Carlton uh, and okay. Hares and Hyenas in Johnson Street, okay. Fitzroy. Yeah, good. Good. 
That's a bit of holiday reading for you. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Is it holiday reading? Is it? No. no, it's definitely not holiday reading. Don't read it before you go to sleep because you'll just be up all night thinking. Oh, maybe it, not. It's reading with a whiskey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Borrow a whiskey. Kate's got an exhibition on right now in Melbourne. No, it just ended. Oh, no. <laughs> so it finished on Sunday. Yeah. Um, but there is a website right. and there will be a book. So it's righthererightnow.com, here, H-E-A-R. Yeah. And, yeah, you can find it there. Cool. <laughs> just be sure to check out the website. Some amazing images. It's really beautiful work. Okay, so um, I'd like to thank you all very, very much for being here for me before I pass over to Queen to share this. Uh, enjoy. Thank Queen, you. Over Thanks. to you. Um, I promise it's not very long because I know it's been quite a long night and you've all been very attentive and amazing. Um, my, this is a little bit from my book. Uh, I, Joe asked me to bring in something and it, and it talks a bit about speaking and silence, which is why I picked this bit. Um, I tend to quote people in my work, so I'm quoting a trauma theorist called Shoshana Fellman, um, Elaine Sixou, who's a French feminist um, psychoanalytic philosopher. I just realised I should slow down. Sorry, guys. And Julia Kristeva who's also a French feminist theorist, um, and Adrienne Rich, who is an amazing, amazing poet. Um, I don't always... I will say when I'm doing Adrienne Rich, but I don't always say who it is that I'm quoting. I, um, I think it's interesting to have work that has a conversation with other writers um, and let the words do what they do. So the urge to speak... Last note, very weird reading writing that I wrote uh, pre-transition, so just, I, and I haven't done that since I came out, so that's slightly odd, and that, I just have to say that. If I tell you about my body, do you think I am telling you about me? Because to tell you the story of my skin and bones, gristling joints, grey matter, milk and saliva and tears, is to tell you a story about me. If I lay this corporeal map out before you, you will learn more than you want to. I will learn more than I want to. This body is a place as much constructed by what it is not as by what it is. But what is it? How does it speak? When I say that I am speaking, who, what is this I? This I is the body becoming text, becoming body, becoming text. This I is Christeva's subject in process. This I is the irrepressible desire towards language, towards speech. But the I is embarrassed by its proclamations because it seeks to represent itself but finds that it is more than can be represented. The body interferes with every promise. The body is at once the organic condition of promise-making and the sure guarantor of its failure. This eye wants to lay all of itself down, but the body will not have it. The body is always moving towards the fragment, towards disintegration, towards a quantum state of here and not here, 
This body, when it writes autobiography, will simultaneously speak and not speak while you read and find your way. Find your way. There is plenty to see here. I have always said too much, been charged with the crime of over-disclosure as if this was the worst thing I could do, speak. Every woman has known the torture of beginning to speak aloud, heart beating as if to break, occasionally falling into loss of language, ground and language slipping out from under her, because for woman speaking, even just opening her mouth in public is something rash, a transgression. It feels as if I have always transgressed. Yes, my heart beats rabbit-like against the cage of my chest and my pulse surges when I open my mouth to speak. The cavern of my mouth instantly dries as it opens to tell you the story of a body torn and remade, of a body that is every day new. And after I have spoken, anxiety runs ravaging through all of me to tingle and throb in extremities, the fear even worse once text and speech have left me. Do I dare? I do. I was born with the urge to speak. It is the thing that leaves me feeling like a puppy dog, a fool, all red hot face and a deep wish to draw the words back in and apologies stumbling around for hours after I have transgressed. Still, I continue to speak. When Siksu told me to write yourself, your body must be heard, the only thing I could do was answer. The only thing I could do was to take this queer body and inscribe it with text, to make new lines, to create a different space. This body that is not me and is always me is producing these words. My fingers and hands type this now. This morning, which is one morning three years ago, which is this morning because the body holds every moment in all of itself, is always the sight of before, now, then. My hands placed a row of sticky tape along the edge of the yellow kitchen table so my son could turn a paper cup into a trailer. This morning they held my breast in place so my other child could drink. They took soap and washed my knees, bruised from trying to get a shopping trolley up a gutter. They warmed a gob of white wax and pushed it through my spiking hair. They got me ready to sit, to write. This body, writing body, will move through discomfort, hold down a tremor, take up its pen and begin. There will be gaps, intercessions, omissions, seams, miscalculations, chasms and voids. There will be silences because, and these are Adrian Rich's words, silence can be a plan, rigorously executed, the blueprint to a life. It is a presence. It has a history, a form. Do not confuse it with any kind of absence. Do not confuse silence with absence. Silence is the space between stanzas. It is what waits. It is the dear heart of the abject dark. It is the unknown that waits to be held. 
It deserves to be read. Wow. That's good. Thank you both. That was, uh, that was a really beautiful note for the night. Um, I appreciate the generosity of sharing that with that. Um, I'm just going to hand it over to Tara to wrap up tonight. And again, I just want to thank you guys for being here with me and you guys for being here with me. Over to Tara. Thanks, Joe. No worries. And it's time, man. <laughs>